If you have your Bibles, please open up to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 1 this morning and, and studying through verses 18 through 25. And if you want to use one of the Bibles that we provided for you, that'll be on page 807 of the Bibles that we've provided for you. And as we think about Christmas, I think we would all agree that there is something completely wonder-producing about the birth of a child. Just three years and three days ago, we welcomed our firstborn daughter into the world, Parker Sophia Turley. And, and the magnitude of that moment is, is almost indescribable to see your child for the first time. It's amazing. And in those moments, I think a flood of thoughts just kind of come to you, and, and you begin to, to, to think, God, this is my child? Like this, this feather of sheer grace belongs to us? God, what will she be like? God, what will she accomplish in the world? God, help us not to blow it as parents. All these thoughts flood through your mind in that most significant moment. But as, as great as that moment was for our family, as great as that birth was, we obviously have gathered this morning to celebrate a greater birth, a more significant birth, a, a birth that is completely beyond our comprehension, completely wonder-producing. The birth of Jesus Christ almost 2,000 years ago. It is not an overstatement to say his birth is the most important birth in all of human history. And that's what Matthew will teach us this morning. We're going we're gonna to find several reasons why Jesus is the greatest gift that the world has ever known from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And before we read this text, I, I want to just caution us that this, this morning, today, of all days, Christmas morning, there's a danger in our heart to get caught up in all that we love about Christmas, right? The many great things that we love about Christmas. Christmas gifts. Any of our kids receive a gift already this morning? Can you raise your hand? Maybe a couple of you. Oh, you're ahead, you're ahead of me. I haven't received any gifts yet. We love our Christmas gifts. We love spending time at Christmas with family and friends. We love delicious Christmas food, singing Christmas carols, all of these great traditions that are good in and of themselves. But sometimes they tempt us to drown out what, that which is most important, the birth of Jesus Christ. It is him we celebrate uh, today. So I want to I want to give you a, a few truths that I believe substantiate the claim that Jesus is the greatest gift the world has ever known. The first one is this. Jesus is the gift of God's promise. We see this in in verses 18 through 20 of Matthew chapter 1. Please follow along as I read these verses for us here. Matthew writes, "Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph receives this, this, this revelation from an angel of the Lord, the text tells us. And, 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 and look how Matthew starts this, this, uh, this passage. He, he just simply says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. The word birth here uh, could be translated Genesis. It's referring to the earthly origins of the life of Christ. Almost to grab our attention, to say, hey, you really need to grasp this. This is, this is the beginning of the story of the life of Jesus Christ. And it's vital for us to grasp this morning. See, just a little historical context here. Uh, we, we see in verse 19, uh, in, in 18 and 19, that Mary and, and Joseph were betrothed to be married. It's, it's kind of like how couples are engaged today to be married, although it had a, a bit more weight to it than that. There was something legally binding about uh, a, a man and a woman who were betrothed to be married, even to the point where they were considered to be husband and wife, though they weren't technically married just yet. So this betrothal period was a time where they were to display their, their love for one another, their faithfulness to one another in preparation for marriage. Only a certificate of divorce could break this. And any unfaithfulness, the slightest unfaithfulness on the part of either the man or the woman would be considered adulterous. So can you imagine? Put yourself in the shoes of Joseph just for a minute. Can you imagine when he hears that Mary is found to be with child? I mean, what, what is this? Can you imagine the, the flood of emotions that he experienced? He knew that they had not come together, and you understand what that means. So the only explanation for Mary being pregnant was that she had been unfaithful to Joseph. The law in Israel actually had a provision to stone a woman for such, a, for such an act crazy now they didn't practice that most of the time but but there was even a provision of the law that that, that could be the greatest form of punishment for for such unfaithfulness but but joseph it says being a just man he he is has this dilemma on the one hand he, he wants to pursue righteousness and and so the fact that mary was pregnant he he had resolved in his heart that he needed to divorce her but it says that he wanted to do so quietly. Why? Because even in his pursuit of righteousness, he was very compassionate towards Mary. He didn't want to shame her openly and bring greater grief and humiliation to her than would already be the case. And so it says that he resolved to divorce her 
quietly, but after he had decided to do this, this is when God sends an angel in a dream to speak to Joseph. And what does the angel say to him? The angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. It's not just do not fear because there's an angel appearing in a dream, but it's do not fear to take Mary as your wife. This must have been strange for Joseph. Like, what are you, what are you talking about here? I can't, I can't go on with this. And, and the angel continues on and he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Notice that the angel addresses Joseph as the son of David. And we didn't take the time this morning, perhaps you're thankful for this, we didn't take the time to read the genealogy of Jesus in the first 17 verses, but if you'll at least look at chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so Matthew tips us off again with the words of the angel to say that Joseph was a son of David and Jesus is this greater son of David, this messianic king that would come from the lineage of David to be the Messiah of the world. And it's in these verses and as we continue on that we find that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. He is the gift of God's promise to us. Jesus was the promised one, the coming Messiah, and all of biblical history pointed to this, that there would be a savior, a redeemer, a deliverer to be born of a woman, even as early as Genesis 3.15, the very first book of the Bible. We find that there is this foretelling of news where God is speaking to the serpent, to Satan, and he says, you know what? There will be an offspring of the woman who you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Already foretelling the, the birth of a savior from the seed of a woman who would one day go to the cross and completely destroy the work of Satan there. Redeem us from the plight of our sin. And so that is as early as Genesis 3, 15. But then we see back here in Matthew chapter 1, the angel goes on in verse 21 and he says this. He says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So I want us to, to zoom in here on, on verses 22 and 23, because here it is that Matthew makes explicit how Jesus is God's promised gift to us. He says that 700 years, roughly 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah spoke of this coming one who would be born of a virgin. I know it's difficult for us to, to wrap our minds around the idea of Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary, but this is the clear testimony of Scripture. 
The gospel writers are very clear. They are writing historical accounts. And they are pointing to the fact that an angel appeared. Mary, when she is confronted by this angel in Luke 1, she says, how can I be pregnant? I am still a virgin. But even though uh, we can't wrap our minds around it, it doesn't negate the fact that this is the testimony of, of, of the Gospels and this is the testimony of the creeds of the church as well. Perhaps you've heard the Apostles' Creed. What does it say? I believe in God, the, um, the, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. And so though many people have serious doubts, very skeptical about the virgin birth of Christ, it stems from a resistance against really anything supernatural, right? I mean, think about this. If we can buy verse 23, that Jesus is God with us. Is it that difficult to buy the account of his birth from the Virgin Mary? I mean, think about this. If you can buy into Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God, just stop there. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, if God is, then he can do whatever he pleases not very difficult to buy into the conception of the Holy Spirit when we consider that God is God. He does that which is supernatural just like that. And so when we think about how God sends his son, I want us to pause just for a moment and consider the wisdom of God in this. Because you might say, well, well, Tanner, couldn't God have kind of thought of another way? A way that might be a little more believable to us who, you know, are so modern and are so smart and so rational. Like, couldn't he have come up with another way? Well, think about this. If Jesus had been born of two earthly parents, we would certainly believe that he was fully human, but how would we come to the conclusion he was also fully God. At the same time, Jesus could have, he could have sent Jesus to us, maybe descended from heaven and had no earthly parents, but then how would we come to understand that he's not only fully God, but he's also fully man? But it's in the, the birth of Jesus, of the Virgin Mary. He has a, a human parent, but he's also conceived by the Holy Spirit. He has a divine birth and a human birth, and it points us to the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Not only that, but the fact that he's conceived of the Holy Spirit, he did not carry this, the same sin nature that, that we carry. He didn't inherit the guilt that we inherit as fallen people. So the virgin birth is the starting point that enabled Jesus to, to live this sinless life, completely free from guilt that he might be our perfect Savior. 
So the wisdom of God shines forth in how he sent Jesus to us. Jesus was Lord at his birth. But, but consider this. Matthew doesn't dwell on the incarnation here in Matthew chapter 1. Why not? Well, perhaps it's because he wants us to focus not so much on the fact that he came, but he wants us to really grasp why he came. And he's going to unpack this in verse 21 for us. And so this work of the triune God, God sending his son, conceived of the Holy Spirit, why did Jesus come to us? We find the answer in the angel's words. Look look in verse 21 again. The angel says to Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, let's just pause right there. All right? Let's pause right there and just kind of consider that this verse could have ended in any way imaginable, right? I mean, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for, and what is the reason for this sending? Why why should his name be called Jesus? What is the greatest need of humanity? Is it to cure our financial woes? Is it that we might be alleviated of all physical suffering? Is it that that disease and, and sickness might be taken away from us forever? Is this the reason that God sent his son to us and his name was Jesus? No, what does the text tell us? It says that Jesus will save his people from their sin. Well, let's, let's break this down a bit. You see, the, the, the angel gives this word to Joseph, and it comes with the force of a command. It says that you will name, give him the name Jesus. Now, why is that so important? And what does the name Jesus mean? I mean, this was a very common name in Israel during this day. It's where we get the name Joshua from. In the Old Testament, there was a great leader of God's people who took them into the promised land, Joshua. He, he brought deliverance to God's people and placed them in the promised land, Yeshua, Jesus. The, the, the name Yeshua means Yahweh saves. God will save. But this wasn't just any child that points to this. No, this was God himself. He will save his people from their sin. See, this was helpful, I'm sure, for Joseph and helpful for Mary. Perhaps parents can identify with the process that goes into naming a child. It can be a, a joyful but yet difficult task, right? Such, a, such an important responsibility to name a child. Perhaps if you've had a child recently, you've gone to Barnes and Noble or, or Borders and, and, and gotten you know, 
a, a, a baby name book. We have the baby name Bible at our house filled with like 100,000 different names. All of your names are, I'm sure, in there. Sorry that we didn't choose yours, ladies, but uh, Parker and Kesset are our two girls. But, but what, a, what, a, what a responsibility. All that's wrapped up in a name. And so the angel says, you shall give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Jesus did not come to show us a way to a better life. Jesus did not come because we are people who simply need a few minor tweaks to who we are. Jesus came to save us from our sin, to completely recreate us, make us new creation, give us life in him. And this was what his life was all about. His was a rescue mission. He came into the world for a specific purpose. And verse 21 focuses on that mission that he would save us from our sin. I, I, I want us to, to, to just think this morning, and perhaps this will bring depth to your Christmas day today. God sent his son to save you from your sin. This is intensely personal. Salvation is comprehensive and it's cosmic, and I'm going to go there in just a moment, but for a moment, think about how personal it is. Every stroke of impatience, every hint of jealousy, every selfish thought, every self-serving move, every time you neglected the good that you knew you should have done, every ounce of pride, Jesus died for all of our sin, all of it, that we might have life in him. This is why he came into the world, to, to, to bring us back to God. Perhaps Christmas is not filled with as much wonder for us this morning because we haven't considered the magnitude of our sin against the holy God. God is completely perfect. He's completely holy. And our sin separates us from God justly. But this is why Jesus came. If you know Christ, then you can be saved. You can have this relationship with God again. The reason that he created you. So salvation is intensely personal, but it's also comprehensive. See, sin has not only riddled the human heart, but sin has riddled everything we see in all of creation. All of the disease and disaster, oppression and injustice, he will make it right. God sent Jesus to bring in a new kind of kingdom that was inaugurated at his first coming, but will be consummated, completed, fulfilled at his second coming. So this is why we sing joy to the world. And, and the verse that we didn't sing this morning, which is, which is quite all right, because here it is in, in, in the sermon, all right? What does it say? It says, no more let sin and sorrows grow. 
nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. So the curse that has riddled our hearts as human beings has also riddled everything that we see. Earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, cancer. Jesus will eradicate it all. He is the saving king who brings a personal salvation and yet who also brings a comprehensive salvation. He saves his people, his people from their sin, from all of the effects of our sin. But as great as that reality is, consider this. Not only does Jesus save us from our sin, but he also saves us for God. See, through Jesus, we can be brought back to God. It's not just being rescued, redeemed from our sin, broken free, delivered from the, 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 the chains of our sin, the penalty of our sin, but now we are actually transferred into the kingdom of God. We belong to him. We are his children. And we have a new life and joy because of who God is in our life now. So if we only reduce Christianity and what Christ did on the cross for us to simply being saved from our sin, then we only get half the gospel, which is really no gospel at all, right? Jesus saves us from our sin, and Jesus saves us for God. And the third beautiful truth that our text teaches us this morning is that Jesus is the gift of God's presence. This is what we see in, 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 in verse 23 in this, this prophecy from Isaiah as we consider how we're safe for God that, 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 that Jesus brings God to us. What does it say? Let's back up to verse 22. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. His name is Jesus because the mission that he was sent on is to save us from our sin, but he will be called. He has another title. It's Emmanuel. And and what's the significance of that? Well, Matthew spells it out. It's because he is God with us. This is an essential claim of Christianity, that Jesus is God in the flesh. He brings God to us. He is God with us. And there is no greater blessing that we can experience in this life or the next life than to have the very presence of God. Think about the person that you love the most. Maybe a few people in your life that you love the most. I mean, they're, they're those people, there is something about just being with them, right, that gives you joy. There's something about being with, with them that, that, that seems in some way to make life a little more complete. There are those people that we just love to be with, to, to talk to, to, to spend time with, to have fun together. Their presence brings such encouragement and comfort and peace. If 
you can think about that as a taste of what this greater reality of knowing God and having the presence of God in our lives and one day being completely reconciled and brought into the very presence of God himself, this is all brought to us through Jesus our Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus humbled himself. God the Son humbled himself, became a human just like us that we might know him and have life in him. And now today, think about this. He, he dwells in us by his spirit and the presence of God. If you are a believer, don't miss this. This is just mind-boggling truth here. If the Spirit of God dwells in you because you have seen Christ and seen what Christ has done for us on the cross and you have life in Him, then God's presence is closer than your very fingertips. He's in you. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. And we receive this gift through looking to Jesus and having life. God's gracious presence with us strengthens us and sustains us and helps us live a life to God's glory. This is the beauty of Christmas. This is how Christmas can transform every day, every week, every month of the year. Because God is with us. He saved us that we might live for him. And God's empowering presence in our lives is what enables us to live a life of obedience. And this is even exemplified a bit in the life of Joseph. In verses 24 and 25, what does it say? It says that when Joseph woke from his sleep, this dream that he had, it says that he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is the Savior of the world. So let me ask you this morning an all-important question. Do you know God's promised gift of salvation and this promised gift of God's presence in your own life. It is the greatest gift that a person can ever know. If you have never received the gift of God's Son, let me invite you to receive the greatest gift that you could ever receive on this Christmas or any Christmas to follow, the gift of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who who know him, who have embraced his his life, his death, his resurrection, and said, man, I'm in, I'm following you, Jesus. The invitation is for us to receive more of Christ. There are exhaustless resources in the heart of God through Jesus for his people that we we can never expire. So we just simply open our arms and we say, I want more of you. I need more of you. Fill me with more of you. And we receive this gift of Christmas again and again and again and again so that then we might be able to give away that which we have received.
So we titled this whole series, this four-week series that we've been trekking through in December. It's called The Gift. Receiving and giving the gift of Christmas. So if you're not a believer in Christ, maybe you've explored Christianity a bit and all this is a bit new to you, then I want to encourage you this morning to receive Christ for the first time. And you'll find that God will totally transform your life and turn it upside down in the most beautiful way and enable you to have true life and joy and peace and live for God forever. But if you are a Christian, I want to invite you to receive this gift again and again and again that you might give it away and give it away and give it away. This should be the rhythm of our life as a follower of Christ. We receive from God so that we might distribute all the graces that flow to us from him. God has given us his love, his joy, so we should give his love and his joy to others every single day. Listen to this little excerpt from one of St. Augustine's sermons, focusing on the, the humanity of Christ. Such a beautiful little, it's almost, it's almost a poem, but it's actually a, a piece of a sermon. He says this, Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread, this maker of man, became man. That the bread might hunger. The fountain thirst. The light sleep. The way be tired on its journey. That the truth might be accused of false witness. The teacher be beaten with whips. The foundation be suspended on wood that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Jesus Christ was sent into the world that he might be born to die, to die for the sins of the world, all of us. So think about this, that perfect life live to die that all who receive his death might live it's my prayer that you know the life that jesus came to bring this morning let's pray together father we thank you for this beautiful truth that's in jesus we thank you that you sent your son to us to be our great savior and to be your very presence among us Father, would you, by your Spirit, open our eyes to see the beauties of these truths? And Lord, would you open our heart to receive these truths in in such a way that they would change us, that they would make us more faithful followers of you this Christmas season and way, way beyond. We pray these things in Jesus' name.